Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. How we doing good, people? You guys doing good? I'm going to start a little differently this morning. I'm going to start with taking a risk. And as a communicator, it's, a, it's quite a risk. Don't know if I'll ever get you back after I do this. Not back on another Sunday, I mean back today. <laughs> but it's a calculated risk. We have stepped out of summer and fully into the fall. We have stepped out of the Old Testament. If you're new around here, we've been studying the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And last Sunday, we finished up the Old Testament. And this Sunday, we're stepping fully into the New Testament. So stepping out of the old and into the new is coinciding with stepping out of the summer and into the fall. And as I shared with you a little bit last week, and just by way of review, that period in between the Old and the New Testament was not just any ordinary period. It was a dark period. In fact, scholars call it the silent era or the dark ages. God went silent. Prophets weren't preaching. Pastors weren't pastoring. And God's people were desperate for the word of the Lord. I mean, just stop and imagine for just a moment what it would be like if God just went mute and gave us all the silent treatment. It was dark, dismal, desperate days which is related to the calculated risk that I want to take today. I don't know if you know this or not, but many, many people are saying that what we just lived through this past summer, summer of 2016, is the worst summer of all time in the modern era. Now, I don't know if that's true. I've only been here for just a little while. And by the way, the moments that we spend on planet Earth your entire life, even if you live to be 100 years old, in the grand scheme of things, it's like a second. And scholars are telling us, and I, I must tell you, I'll go ahead and share with you what I believe. I believe there's some truth to this. I don't know if it is the worst summer. But the truth is there is no denying that what we just lived through was one of the worst summers ever. To which some of you are going, really? I, I didn't, I'm not sure. I know. No, no, no. Here, here's what happens. See, I believe you're like me and I'm like you. We're pretty much one and the same. And the truth is, if you're anything like me, if you are not careful, you can actually start to grow numb to the violence and the murder and the terrorism and the hostility that invades planet Earth. For you old school rockers in the house, we've become... In the words of Pink Floyd, I have become comfortably numb. Now, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a hard time for that. See, I can slip into that as well because the truth is, it's a coping mechanism. We grow numb. We kind of turned a blind eye. We put walls up around our hearts. And before we know it, we are living in one of the most jacked up world, jacked up eras of all time. And we're just numb to it. And what I hope to do today is to just kind of wake us up. I hope to wake us up for just a moment, maybe even longer, and talk to you about the summer that we've experienced. Maybe you've forgotten. Let me walk you through it. Interestingly enough, it all started in, the, in June of 2016 with a massacre at a gay nightclub in Orlando. The worst Mass shooting by a single gunman in U.S. history. Before that horror could even be processed, terrorists with bombs and guns slaughtered 41 people and injured 100 more in an all-out assault at an airport in Istanbul, Turkey. Only a week later, we were confronted by a video of a police officer firing into the chest of a 37-year-old man, Alton Sterling, outside of a convenience store in Louisiana. A single day later, another video was broadcast on Facebook Live 
by the girlfriend of Philando Castile, a beloved cafeteria worker chronicling in a very eerily calm way, I must say so, the death of her boyfriend. Who can forget the image of Castile lying slumped next to her in a blood-soaked shirt with a gun outside the window of the car? There was more the next night during a peaceful protest against police brutality. A sniper in Dallas gunned down five cops and injured 11 more. It was the deadliest day for law enforcement since September 11. And then came France. A celebration of Bastille Day along the banks of the French Riviera. A man in a truck drove wildly through the crowd along a promenade, killing 84 people and injuring hundreds of others. The summer wasn't done, by the way. At the end of July came the murder of an 85-year-old Normandy priest, Father Hamel, by ISIL knifemen who slit his throat during Mass. Do I even need to bring up the Zika virus? By all conservative evaluations, I believe we just lived through one of the worst summers of all time. And I hope those images weren't too much for you, but I would just remind you that we have adult-oriented worship celebrations, and we believe at New Hope, we started this thing 14 years ago, we believe at New Hope the gospel calls us, it propels us to talk about any and everything that we're dealing with. What do you think? Worst summer of all time? Maybe not, maybe. Through the advent of social media, not to mention the internet itself, this phenomenon is quite in our face these days. We have a greater awareness of these kinds of calamities. But even as I study world history, I believe we just lived through, in the summer of 2016, one of the worst summers of all time. And most of us walk around completely numb to the reality. The Bible's view of time is distinct. It's not cyclical. A never-ending repetition of events. I realize it might seem that way sometimes. It might seem to appear cyclical. It's just one darn thing after another repeating itself over and over and over again. But the truth is that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says time is distinct. It has a clear beginning, and the Bible says it has a clear ending. It began in the beginning, as we looked at in Genesis, back around Easter time of this year. And the Bible says it will march on with a never-ending, inching, marching towards hell's dominance. When the Antichrist will rule in a place called hell, and the Christ King, Lord of life himself, will reign forever in a place called heaven. And I'm sorry to give you such a heavy, laden, almost archaic language message today, but it's deeply biblical. And it's deeply true. If you're a guest around here, I'm so glad you're here. And this is not the way I typically start off a message. But I follow where I believe the Spirit of God leads us. And as one counselor said to me one time, it's tough down here. Yes, I've done counseling. And if you're looking for a shiny pastor who's really just looks too good to be true, I want to go ahead and let you know now I'm not your man. It's tough down here. And I don't know how you handle such 
a summer, but, but here's what I've been asking myself over and over and over again. And, and maybe I think about these kinds of things too much. Maybe I do. But here's what I've been asking myself as I've watched summer 2016 unfold event after event after event. I just keep asking myself, where's the love? Where's the love? Where's the message of love that can radically change all of this? Where is the love? People killing, people dying. Children hurting, I hear them crying. Can you practice what you preaching? Would you turn the other cheek again? Mama, 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 tell us what the hell is going on. Can't we all just get along? Father, 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 help us. It's a guidance from above. Cause people got me, got me questioning. Yeah, what's going on with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mama I think they're all distracted by the drama And attracted to the trauma mama I think they don't understand the concept Or the meaning of karma Overseas, yeah, they're trying to stop terrorism Over here on the streets, the police shoot the people Put the bullets in them But if you only got love for your own race And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Man, this is what you demonstrate. And that's exactly how hate works and operates. Man, we gotta set it straight. Take control of your mind, just meditate. And let your soul just gravitate to the love so the whole world celebrated. People killing, people dying. Where is the love? Where is the love? 
I feel the weight of the world on my shoulder As I'm getting older, y'all, people get colder Most of us only care about money making Selfishness got us following the wrong direction Wrong information or what's shown by the media Negative images, it's the main criteria Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinemas What happened to the love and the values of humanity? What happened to the love and the fairness and equality? Where's the love? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Where's the love? Lack of understanding leading us away from unity. Where's the love? what I've been asking myself lately so I felt compelled to come and ask you where's the love where's the love and for the Christians in the house maybe the hyper spiritual ones in the house don't just say for a moment well well it's, it's amongst us Christians because I would agree with you in the movement of New Hope. I've never been around a more loving people in all my life. But have you ventured out into too many circles? Some Christians are some of the meanest people on the planet. I'm talking just mean as snakes. Where's the love? Where's the love? Richard Nixon one time got so excited, so excited, right, about man walking on the moon that he said, I believe it's the greatest day in history. To which Billy Graham stopped by and said, let me remind you of Christmas and Easter. <laughs> Where's the love? I know it sounds like something a pastor would say, but I believe it deep in my heart. Where's the love? It is in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. It is in Him and only in Him. And it is His love that is supposed to spread into His people and spread around the world. The greatest love gift ever given was given 2,000 years ago in Jesus. And we're stepping into that New Testament story today. And I don't know if you've ever really kind of thought about it, but the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a fourfold Gospel for a reason. Some of the Gospels speak about the birth of Jesus, some do not. For example, Matthew does. Matthew does. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, for those of you who've been with me in this study since Easter, you've studied the entire Old Testament, I want to encourage you to do something this week. Go back and read Matthew 1. Read the entire genealogy. You might not have ever read that passage before, and I can understand why. It's a very long genealogy with names and words that are very hard to say. But because you've been studying the Bible with me, you go read the genealogy this week, and I would venture to guess that it will crack open. And you'll start to connect some dots in Holy Scripture. Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus. Mark decides to leave it out. Luke, on the other hand, is a doctor. And Luke decided to take a very scholarly approach to telling of the birth of Jesus. And Luke says this, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything. Do you see it? Luke was a doctor. He was a scholar, well-trained. He goes, investigated everything from the beginning... I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you. That's Luke's version. John, the Gospel of John, the most poetic and theological of all the Gospels, John would put it like this in the beginning. Come on now, those of you who've been reading the Bible with me, what does that sound like? Genesis 1. John's making a very clear point here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. In the beginning, Jesus Christ existed. Watch this. In the beginning was the what? That word, by the way, is logos in the Greek. Logos, it means word. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos, the word, was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is the pre-existent Christ of all creation, the one who has existed from the very beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, 
Nothing was made that has been made. It is Jesus Christ, the gift of love. Take out your teaching notes. Follow along with me. I only got a few things I want to talk to you about today as we try to settle into the reality of the world in which we live and what God has called us to do in the midst of that. Here's the first thing I would say to you. The message of Christmas is that God has a plan. Right in the word plan. God has a plan. And as we look at this series, Jesus for President, you might have been disappointed at times with the candidates running for office because sometimes their plans just don't add up. Sometimes they won't even give you a plan. Hello. But Jesus had a plan. The Father had a plan when he sent Jesus Christ to planet Earth. And that plan involves a gift. It's why we give gifts at Christmas. Isn't it wonderful to celebrate Christmas today and not have to worry about your in-laws coming to town? Isn't it great to be able to celebrate Christmas without having to go out and navigate the mall? But the reason we give gifts at Christmas time. It's because God gave the ultimate gift in His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? God had a plan. And in Jesus Christ, through Jesus, God the Father has presented in HD color the ultimate plan for humanity. That a sinless Savior would be born. That He would hold the world in the palm of His hands. That he existed from infinity past to infinity present to infinity future. And he holds you and he holds me. It was the greatest gift ever given to us. Paul would try to get to this in 2 Corinthians 9. And I want, to I want you to read this out loud really emphatically. Notice there's an exclamation point. Paul just can't contain himself when he makes this statement. Ready? Go. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One more time. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God has a plan. And that plan involves you. That plan involves you. That plan involves you folks up in the balcony. That plan involves all of you here at the Durham campus. That plan involves those of you in the Coffee House campus and all the other campuses spread out throughout the Carolinas into Kenya. And if you're in front of a TV on a couch somewhere or a computer screen, that plan involves you. Every single one of us. And that plan is to receive the gift of love. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And spread the gift of love. A fictional, kind of humorous story is told where Jesus Christ, after he came to planet Earth 2,000 years ago, lived among us for 33 years, died on a cross, was dead, buried. The Father raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. He went back to heaven. Again, a fictional story. He goes back to heaven, and Gabriel's kind of wanting to high-five him and congratulate him. Way to go, Jesus. You defeated death. You did it. Jesus, I have an idea, Gabriel says. What if we gather the angelic choir and the choir visits planet Earth and we get to tell them all about the good news, the plan, and what they are to do with it. We want to tell the world to spread the love. And Jesus looked at Gabriel and said, no, 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 no. That's what my followers are supposed to do. To which Gabriel said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Your followers, have you looked at that ragtag group? Jesus, they just killed you. Even Peter, your main man, Peter, denied you three times. you got to be kidding me. And Jesus said, no. The Father's plan is that my people will receive and then spread the love. And Gabriel goes, well, I don't know if I agree with that, but can the angelic choir be plan A or plan B, I mean? Can it be plan B? And Jesus paused and said, no. There's only one plan, and that involves my people receiving my love and spreading it abroad. That's our job. Where's the love? It's right here. It's right here. Look around. It's right here. A beautifully 
diverse movement of God in love with God and in love with one another, spreading his love now for 2,000 years, God has a plan. Here's the second thing. I just tapped into it a little bit. Here it is. Write it in. God uses people to spread the love. God uses who? People to spread his love. I mean, just think about the Christmas story itself. Who did God use? He used shepherds to tell he was coming. He used Mary. He used a teenage virgin to deliver his love. He used Joseph. Joseph, a carpenter who could have said, forget about it. Joseph said, all right, guys, what would you have done? Hey, I kind of got this baby growing inside of me. I know, Joseph, I know, Joseph, we haven't, we haven't done anything. And I haven't done anything with anybody else either, Joseph. <laughs> Come on, guys, what would you have done? Joseph said, all right. God even used a donkey. A donkey to carry, carry them to Bethlehem. A donkey. You know what donkeys are called? I've often reminded myself, if God can use an ass, he can use me. not a cuss word don't even go there <laughs> God uses people he uses people to spread his love abroad and I just I just want to say this to you you got to be very careful during this political season guard your heart Proverbs says listen to me Christian people you're some of the best people on the planet, but this political season will eat your lunch if you're not careful. Guard your heart. If you are not careful, this political season will cause you to start hating people. Don't do it even for a moment. If you're a Republican, this political season will cause you to start hating Democrats. If you're a Democrat, this, this political season will cause you to start hating Republicans. If you're a Libertarian, whatever. <laughs> That, that, was, that was not a part of the plan. <laughs> Independent. I mean, yeah. guard your heart. Don't let this season or some major news network or some candidate cause you to become mean-spirited and hate anyone. We don't hate. We are God's people. We are defined by love. We don't judge. We love all people. Yes, we stand for truth, but we love all people. Regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you smell like, regardless of what you did last night, regardless of what aisle on the political spectrum you are, we are a people of love, and love wins every time. Where's the love? It's... It's in the people of God. Here's the third thing. Third thing. Write it in. Write it in. Oh, my, oh my Lord. Imagine this. <laughs> A candidate keeping his promises. <laughs> God keeps his promises. Right? God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Back in Genesis, God promised. Remember this? That the head of the serpent would be crushed. By a descendant of Adam. He would make a nation that would be a blessing to the entire world. Listen to me, church. We are now that nation. The nation was ancient Israel. But then Christ came. And the church takes up where Israel leads off. And we are a nation of God. We are a people of God defined by his love. And in the Bible, throughout the entire Old Testament, there is prophecy after prophecy, after prophecy that has come true in Jesus Christ. And some of you are here and you're kind of new to this whole faith thing and you're not even sure you're a Christian and you, you, you might not even know what that word prophecy means. Let me just make it as plain as I know how. Prophecy in the Bible consisted of men or women of God who would get up and declare prophetic, futuristic things that were to come true in Christ. And at the time, nobody really knew if they were going to come true. But let me just walk you through some 
prophetic teachings in the Bible that some of you are just going to get so excited about this because you love this. It's a little heady. It's a little heady, but go there with me. There are over 300 messianic prophecies in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. How many? 300. There are 60 major ones, major prophetic words declaring what would happen in Christ. There are 250 minor prophecies. And we find in the Bible Jesus Christ prophetically fulfilling every single prophetic utterance that was listed in the Bible. Jesus Christ fulfilled them all. Now one of them, I'm going to show you a few in a moment. But one of the reasons why, side note, I don't have any proof of this. This is just my theory. One of the reasons why I think God delayed 400 years in sending Jesus kind of gave us the silent treatment, if you will, was because I believe God wanted to make it unmistakable, undeniable, that when he sent forth Jesus Christ, he was sending forth the Son of God, and that every single prophetic word that was proclaimed in advance would come true in Christ. He had to give some distance, if you will, so that it would be undeniable that Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. Let me give you a few, just a few, and I could, I could keep you here all day long, but you'll be hungry in a little bit. Here we go. Micah 5.2. Come on, let's read this out loud together. Ready? Go. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Micah 5.2 prophetically proclaimed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Do you know anything about Bethlehem? You know what the population of Bethlehem was? How many of you came from a small town? Small town USA people. All right. How many of you came from a small town where there was nothing but a flashing light? One intersection and one flashing light. Anybody? That made Bethlehem look big. Bethlehem had a population of about 1,000 people. Small place. And all the way back in the Old Testament, they said the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world, would come from Bethlehem. Here's another one, Isaiah 7. Come on, let's read it out loud. You did so well last time. Ready? Go. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a... The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Seven hundred years before Jesus. This is the word of Scripture. 700 years. Who would have ever thunk it? That a virgin? What? Could give birth? And through that conception would be the Savior of the world, the Messiah for all time? 700 years. Years. Here's Isaiah 53. Same time period. Ready? Come on, come on. Go. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 700 years. They prophetically proclaimed that he would be crushed, pierced, beaten for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. I just thought of this. Isaiah even said that the government, hello, the government shall be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. 700 years prior to all of this taking place. I'm not going to read it for you, but you can go read this. Write this down. Zechariah, write this down. Zechariah 11, 12 through 23. Go study that. This week sometime. In that text, again, way before Jesus came, in that text, the Old Testament even prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. What? Remember that, Judas? How about the death and the resurrection? Psalm. This is Old Testament. The book of Psalms 22, 16 and 18. Ready? Go. A pack of villains encircles me. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. Think about it. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. There he was. You ever wonder how much God loves you? Here it is. He loves you this much. There he was with hands pierced, feet pierced, people encircling him, gloating over him. You said you could save the world. Look at you. You're hanging on a cross. Watch this. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. All on display. And then Matthew 1.22 would say it like this. All of this, all that I've been talking about today, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Now keep your thinking caps on for just a moment because some of you, you're just kind of skeptical. You're, you're cynical. You don't know about this whole church thing. You don't know about faith. Just think about this with me for a moment. Think about the probability of all of these prophetic scriptures, all of these words coming true. Just think about this. There's a man by the name of Peter Stoner. <laughs> Imagine you had a last name of Stoner. He's not a Stoner. He's actually a mathematician at Pasadena Community College. Years ago, he did a study of compound probability. He did a study to find out what if Jesus just fulfilled eight of the prophecies that we've been talking about today. There's 300, but just imagine that Jesus fulfilled eight of them. And he took the likelihood, mathematically speaking, of a person who was born on earth being born in Bethlehem, for example. What's the likelihood? Is, is that one in 10,000? Is that one in 300,000? What's the likelihood that a person could fulfill eight of these 300 prophecies found in the Bible? Studied it for a long period of time, and he came up with this number. The likelihood of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies, coincidentally fulfilling any eight of them that you want, was one in ten to the 17th power. To which you might ask, what's that number? I don't know. Actually, actually, I do know. Here, here you go. It's that number. It's that number right there. The likelihood of one man fulfilling only eight prophecies, a scholarly work, is one to the 10 to the 17th power. In the Bible, there are over 300 prophecies fulfilled. Where's the love? It's in Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. Where's the love now that Jesus has ascended back to the Father? It is in you. It is in me. And it is our job to spread the love. Galatians would put it like this in the New Testament. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive, what's that word right there? That we might receive adoption as children of God. Where's the love? It's in Jesus. Where's the love that the world so desperately needs? Listen to me, listen to me. It's in you. It's in you. It's in me. The only question needed to ask and probe is this. Are you allowing that love to flow through you? There's two ways to live your Christian life, beloved, too. You can live it like a, well, let's use the Dead Sea as an example. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know there's this thing called the Dead Sea. 
The Dead Sea is so dead, you would not believe it. The Dead Sea is this unbelievable body of water, 429 meters below sea level, depth of 997 feet, length 31 miles. It is this hypersaline lake where there is no flow. Therefore, it's evaporating, by the way. It's getting smaller by the year. Anybody can float in the Dead Sea. Some of you are like, Pastor, you don't know me. I can't swim. <laughs> oh, you can float in the Dead Sea. I've done it twice. You, you can get into the Dead Sea. It's so thick that you can't even hardly make yourself go underwater. I mean, it is the buoyancy is unbelievable. You float like a cork. So if you've never swam before and you don't think you can swim, get on a plane and go to the Dead Sea. You'll be out there doing backstrokes, man. <laughs> There's no flow. There are a lot of Christians living their lives like the Dead Sea. There's no flow. They're not letting the love of God flow through them. You can live like that or you can live like a river. You can live like the mighty river of God and you can allow God's love to flow through you. Not just on Sundays but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week. 365 days a year, you can let the love of God flow through you. And when you do, you are becoming the solution to the problem we see on planet Earth. The only question is, will you do that? See, this is why we started New Hope Church. This is why we take this stuff so seriously. The world is in desperate need of the love of God. And it's our calling, is it not, church? It is our calling to take the love of God and just allow it to flow through us and spread to the world. You see, there once, there once was a group of people that was so gripped by the gospel that I'm talking to you about today. They were so enamored by this man God in the form of Jesus Christ. They were so taken back by his life and his witness and his love for all people that after they watched him willingly, he said, they don't take my life, I lay down my life. After they watched him climb up a hill called Calvary, and allow those stakes to be driven into his hands and his feet and hoisted up on a cross. And they watched God the Father raise him on Easter Sunday morning. They were so taken by the message that they went forth as a people called church. And they literally turned the world upside down. Well, maybe better put, they literally turned the world right side up. That's the call of the church. They were so gripped by the gospel that they took off their masks. And they actually loved one another. They became a multi-generational, multi-ethnic movement that was described and, and witnessed by the love of God. And the world has never been the same since. That's our calling. It's the love. So I want to invite some of you here today. Maybe you're here and you've never received that love. Maybe you're here and inside your heart is hard, it's jaded, it's it's mean. You're mean. When I talked about a mean snake earlier, you're like, that's me. You wouldn't say it out loud, but that's you. Maybe you're here and you know that you're just dead. You're dead like the dead. See, you're dead on the inside. Can I invite you to receive the love of God today? Can I invite you to give your life to Christ today? Can I invite you to join the greatest movement this world has ever known, ever seen? That is the church when she's working right. I've often said, there's nothing like the church. Nothing like the church when she is being the beautiful bride of Christ. Nothing like her.
Maybe you're here and you're like, I need, I need to give my life. Can I give you two more verses? Oh, my Lord, look at this right here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Come on, church, come on. You will be If I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart, you'll be saved by the love of God. And then you'll be invited to go forth and share that love. One more from Romans, same book. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be I want to give you a chance to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ today. All heads bowed, please. Eyes closed. I want to pray. Hey, if you're a believer, pray. Pray right now like never before. Pray for the people around you. Pray for the person who's sitting in their house watching this on television. Pray for the world. Father, we want to thank you for your gift. The gift that you have so graciously given in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you had a plan because as we look at this world, Lord, sometimes it just seems so chaotic, so cyclical, just seems like one thing after another. Thank you for the promise and the hope of the gospel that you have a plan for us. Your plan has never failed, though it looks like it at times, God, your plan will reign supreme at the end of all time. And Father, as a church, we would never want to leave anyone behind. So God, I just want to give an opportunity right now. For those who are here who might want to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, they want to receive this love that I have talked about today. This is not a rededication. I want to be crystal clear in this moment at all of the campus locations. This is not a rededication. This is for the man or the woman or the student. You're here and you know you need to be born again. You know that you want to be saved and you need a Savior. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are so you can just reach out to God. One, God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for you. So that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Two, that sinless Savior of the world walked among us 33 years and died a sinless Savior on a blood-stained cross for you. And three, our Heavenly Father at just the right moment raised Jesus from the dead that all those who put their hope and their faith and their trust in Him shall live eternally everlasting with God forever. Right now, if you want to receive the Savior of the world, just raise your hand right where you are. Just lift your hand up high. Just lift it up. I see you, ma'am. Sir, I see you in the back. Raise it up. I see you, folks. Yeah, praise God. Lift it up. I want to keep praying for you. Father, I thank you for these folks. I see you up here. God bless you. I see you in the balcony. Father, I want to pray for everybody at the campuses, God. I want to pray for every person who is extending a hand to you right now. If that's you, why don't you just pray a simple prayer in your heart that would go something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my Savior because I am a sinner. I need you to be my hope because, God, I can look at this world sometimes and it is easy to grow hopeless. But, Lord, I receive you today and I ask that you forgive me of my sins and I ask that you fill me with this love. That I might spread it abroad to the world, that I might be a part of the solution. Come into my life today. Lord Jesus, come into my heart to stay I receive you and rejoice in being a Christian by your grace lastly father I want to pray for everybody else here today those who might have come today and they already know you they've already trusted you they're Christians but if you're here and you just want to say God count me in I 
I need to give my life back to just loving people. Lord, I can't, I've grown hard. I've grown mean-spirited. I've grown judgmental. Maybe you're here today, and what you just need to say is, God, soften my heart again. God, help me love people. Let me love all people, regardless of whatever. God, I need your love to flow through me. If that's you, you're a Christ follower. Just take a moment and, and share your heart with God. Make that prayer personal between you and God. Bible says we love because he first loved us. Ask him to make you a river of love that it would just flow through you to all people. Thank you, God. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. New believers and followers alike, we just praise you. We thank you for sending the love. Now let us be that solution. For we pray all this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who taught his church to pray together out loud, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. If you receive it today and you want to help me send the campuses off, bless them as they go. We love you guys. You're in great hands with your campus pastors. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast and thanks for being a part of our church family.